seated. No, not vast. Um, <laughs> well, whatever it is, basically, you like the religion. Yes. Uh, is there one aspect of the faith you find particularly attractive? <laughs> I think the hats. The hat conveys that, that solemn religious look you want in a faith. Very pious. Uh, are you familiar with orthodox theology? Well, perhaps not to the extent that, that you are. But, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I know the basic plot. Yeah. I must say, George, I was somewhat surprised at the results of your conversion test. I don't recall having seen such an impressive performance. You truly must be filled with the spirit of the Lord. Oh, I'm, I'm full of it, Father. Dominus dos Dominus. Congratulations, George. Oh, welcome to the fate. One of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, actually, probably my favorite show of all time. Um, that's a great clip about religion. George was converting for a woman, by the way, just if you didn't know that story. And after he became Latvian Orthodox, she moved to Latvia for three years. So it didn't work out well. <laughs> For George. My name is Joe Davis. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're continuing with our series on 2 Corinthians. And I spoke about this just a little bit last week. Let me make sure that I say this again. <clears throat> At Grace Life, we really want to strive to do everything when we teach, uh, to try to stay away from topical messages as much as possible. Uh, we want the topics to come from just our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, book-by-book study of the Word of God. That way, we're not inserting what we want to say to you, but what we are saying what God is saying to you, if that makes sense. And so because of that, sometimes I stumble across passages that are really long and really big and full of huge ideas. And it makes me really nervous. And that's one of the cases today with this passage. And so I'm going to ask that you try to stick with me as much as possible in the very beginning as I talk about the historical part of the passage and the theological, the history being what about man, what did he do, and why did he do it? And then the theological, what about God, what did he do, and why and how did he do it? And I promise you we'll get to the devotional, which is really cool. But I'm going to need you to stick with me today. I'm a little hesitant. I'm nervous about it because there's so much in here. And I, I wanted to break it up into two weeks, but I can't because it's all one concept. Uh, so uh, today we're calling this Religion is Scary. <clears throat> If anyone knows about religion being scary, it's me. I've been fired three times by religion. And uh, I've had some of my greatest wounds in my life perpetrated on me because of religion. Uh, I've had some of my greatest personal burdens hoisted upon my own shoulders because of religion. And so with that in mind, I want to make sure that you understand uh, how this is working. So uh, historically speaking, what Paul does is he kills two birds with one chapter. And both purposes in 2 Corinthians, if you remember the purposes, one is to defend the gospel. And the other one was Paul defending his authority as an apostle to teach what the gospel said. And right now what happens is Paul is, the first six verses, Paul is explaining he's defending himself 
against those who are attacking his credibility. I didn't put this part of the passage up on the screen because I didn't want to overwhelm you with words because there's 18 verses today. So I'm just going to read to you these, these six verses. And look what Paul says. <clears throat> are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do we need, as some do, some sort of letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves or to claim any responsibility as coming from us what has happened in your life. But our, suffici our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So let me explain what he says in these six verses. There are big shots that are coming from Jerusalem into Corinth. And basically what the big shots are saying is, look, we have these letters of recommendation from religious bigwigs in Jerusalem. These are letters of recommendation so that you know that when we come to you, we have authority to tell you that what Paul is doing is wrong. These were outsiders with letters of recommendation. These were people who didn't know the Corinthians. They had just heard, it's interesting, they had heard what was going on in Corinth at the time. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us in other places, the word was spreading fast about what was going on there and people were amazed by it. And some people were concerned by it. These are the people. And so they say, we have got to go to Corinth. We've got to fix what Paul is saying. Paul is telling the Corinthians they don't need the temple anymore. All they need is Jesus. And that is not true. So we get letters of recommendation from religious bigwigs. And we will come to Corinth and say, hey, look at our letters. We are important people. Listen to what we have to say. They had not walked with the Corinthians through sorrow. They had not been there when some of them had lost a child or grieving over a lost relative. They had not been there when they lost a business or not been there to celebrate victory with them when they'd had a child or, or got a new job. These were 100% outsiders. And Paul says, we have been there through your journey. We aren't coming in late to the party after all the hard work has been done. Paul says, we don't need letters. You are our letters of recommendation. And these letters are not written with ink on paper, but they're written on tablets of the flesh, on hearts. Our, letter, our authority, our legitimacy is not coming from some religious bigwig in Jerusalem that doesn't know who you are. Our authority to speak to you comes from the fact that we have been there from the beginning since the first day you came to Christ. We have seen what God has done in your life. He's made you sufficient in Christ. He's transformed you. He's given you this new confidence and glory and the gospel and all these things. Your hearts have been transformed. Once you acted like pagans and now you act like people who are following Christ. You are our letter of recommendation. And everyone out there can see it. Why do you think these people are here? They're talking about it even in Jerusalem. What is going on? This miracle. They're not worried about other synagogues across the world. They're concerned about yours. And Paul says, this is the proof of my authority and my message, what it has done in your life. Written on hearts, not paper. 
And not by me, he says. It's not has anything to do with me. It's not my sufficiency, but it's in Christ. Jesus himself has written this letter on your heart. Not by corrupt human beings in Jerusalem. Jesus. And then he comes to the next part of this where he defends the gospel. That's in verses 7 through 18. And what he embarks on here is a brilliant explanation of the two different types of glory. There's the glory and the power of religion that condemns and separates. That's what the people of the letters of recommendation were bringing. Then there's the glory and the power of the gospel to forgive and unite. So one condemns and separates us from God, and the other one forgives us and brings us back to God. And Paul could do this because he was an expert in the religion. Matter of fact, he knew more about the religion that the people with the letters of recommendation were trying to defend than they did. He was, at one time, the biggest of the big shots. He knew how to defend against what those guys were peddling. He knew more about the temple and Judaism than any of those people that had come to Corinth to defame him. And his message of salvation was through Jesus, the Messiah. Therefore, Paul is uniquely qualified to help the Corinthians through this. But what, what does Paul do? He doesn't say, look, let me tell you why I know more than these guys. What does he tout as his credentials? Instead of all those things, he touts the credentials of transformed hearts and the minds of the Corinthians, which he acknowledges is the work of Jesus in verse 6. Unlike those who came with these silly, ridiculous, man-made letters of recommendation. So let's talk about the theology, the two glories. This is a very complicated concept, and so I'm going to try to break this down for you as, as easy as possible. Paul goes into a logical destruction of their flawed gospel, the guys with the letters of recommendation, and looking at those who are trying to pull the Corinthians into this temple worship, and he destroys them. Verse 7, I'm going to read the passage to you, okay? Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, that's, by the way, a reference to the law, the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not even look at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, religion, the ministry of righteousness far exceeds it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. Wow, that would really tick some of these guys with letters of recommendation off, wouldn't it? <clears throat> because the glory that has surpassed it, the glory that comes from mercy. For if what is being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what has put it to end come with permanent glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I love that. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would have to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not be blinded at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is the veil taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. 
But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You see the difference between condemnation and freedom? And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Here's what he says. The glory that you were shielded from, the glory that condemned you, the glory that made you afraid, you're being transformed into that very glory. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So I want to explain what Paul's reference is to the veil of Moses. When you leave today and you understand the veil of Moses, you have more knowledge than most Christians out there, frankly. This is so important. And it comes from this passage in Exodus, Exodus 34, 29 to 35. I'm not going to put it up there. I'm just going to read it. This is from Exodus. This is the story of when Moses went up to the mountain, got the Ten Commandments and came down. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimonies in his hand, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not do anything that makes you bad. Remember those? (laughs) He came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face was shining and they were afraid to even come near him. How sad is that? He has got these words from God and they're afraid to even approach him. But Moses called them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. They ran away and he said, no, 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 come back. And he commanded them all what the Lord had spoken to him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, He would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. So Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak to God. Moses had to cover himself so the people weren't too intimidated by what was going on. So we have this old covenant that had the glory of separation. The veil has this idea of a separation between us and God. The glory of God is too great. We are too sinful. We cannot come into contact with it because it reveals just how deficient and insufficient we are. And there's this reference to the glow on the face of Moses causing fear. And the glory of God's righteousness... And the Torah taught how far off we were. And frankly, I don't know about you, but without Jesus, the Ten Commandments are quite intimidating. I don't get past the first one. (laughs) And as I go through the list, it gets worse and worse and worse. See, because religion is very good at telling you how bad you are. Religion is very good at telling you how much work you have left to do. But then there's the new covenant, the new glory. One has the glory of separation. I mean, it is glorious in the fact that it's powerful because it can condemn us. But how much greater is the glory that not only does not condemn us, but it reconciles us to God. It's amazing because the work of Christ causes this boldness. Because the gospel brings us near to God. It brings us near to what was before intimidating. And we are transformed from timid 
to bold. And the reason? Because religion tries to bring you into God's presence as insufficient sinners. You see that? That's what religion's goal is. Okay, if you want to come before God, here's how you got to do it. But grace is God coming toward us while we're still sinners. Huge difference. One says, if you want to be next to God, here's your steps. There's a lot of them. Read them all very carefully. But grace says, I, God, am coming to get you in all your muck, in your sewage. I'm picking you up. I'm bringing you back to me. Ephesians 2, 12 to 15. I'm going to read it for you. Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of religion. Is that what it says? No, by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. In other words, the stones that Moses brought down from them. By abolishing the law that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Isn't that a great passage? Basically, what Paul is teaching is we are transferred from one glory to another. From the glory that hindered us to the glory that unites us with Heavenly Dad. From the one that said you aren't good enough to the one that sees us as the righteousness of Christ. Do you understand that? Religion says you aren't good enough. Grace says, wow, you're just like Jesus. Holy cow, how does that happen? Well, not by a holy cow, I can tell you that. That's what they were trying to do before Moses went and got the Ten Commandments, if you remember correctly. Okay, good. Some of you... Remember your Bible studies from when you were a kid. <clears throat> All right, now the fun part. I mean, that was pretty fun, but this is really fun. Do we force people to cover up? So I have some pictures uh, of modern and traditional worship, religion. I don't think I could go into that with flip-flops. <laughs> If I was going to preach in that, I don't think I could preach it in this. I'd feel like, you know, I need a robe. You know, a robe covers a multitude of sins, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, religion is amazing, isn't it? Don't get me wrong. That's majestic. I mean, it's got these cathedrals. It's got the robes. It's got huge pipe organs. The Crystal Cathedral in California. It's got... On the modern side, it's got incredible contemporary staging. It's got unbelievable worship bands. Not better than ours, that's correct. But they have a lot more lights and smoke. I mean, think about it. Sometimes the staging of what we do in modern church, oh, you know, we're not like, we are just like the traditional church. We spend millions and millions on buildings and staff and staging to put on an incredible show that I think, frankly, forces other people to put on their own. They're trying to measure up to this image of these incredible worshipers who have no pretense. 
My personal favorite is the hats. So watch this, watch this, watch this. See that? That's a, he's got to get in the car. Boop. Cross down. Look at the, hey, look at the, watch, watch, the, watch the security guard. Watch the, watch, the, watch the, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got the hat. Okay, now you can go. Isn't that great? <laughs> I'm just going to lead up there for about 20 minutes. All right, in all seriousness, look at that. Now, here's the sad part. Guys, how did we get there? How did we get there from the teachings of Jesus to this stuff? How does that happen? I mean, it's alarming to me how religion could get it so wrong to have migrated so far afield from what Christ was teaching, what Paul was teaching to this crap. How can that happen? Seriously, how can that take place? How can you read the Bible and say, well, we have to have a hat with a folding cross or else we're not going <laughs> to. It's a little bit heartbreaking. I'm being serious. This, I was thinking about it this week. I was laughing at the video. Then I thought, man, that is just so sad. Look at this verse again. This is our passage from today. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. See, guys, here's the thing. Religion's glory makes people afraid. Modern, traditional, it doesn't matter. I have been intimidated in a modern worship service just as much as I've been intimidated in St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. Like I said, religion intimidates me. I used to come to work wondering, is this the day? And three times it was. See, what religion does, it makes us, I want to say this the right way, we aren't willing to be who we really are in religion. We are inclined to cover ourselves, whether it's through our hand raising, and I'm not ripping on hand raising, or whether it's through our singing of hymns, whether it's through our robes, our veneration of guys with hats, whatever it is, we are inclined because of religion to cover ourselves. I don't see that anywhere in Paul's gospel. But Christ's glory makes people bold that doesn't mean you're like bold and arrogant. It means willing to be vulnerable. That's why I start my prayers with dad. I mean, could you imagine if I was in one of those cathedrals we were looking at before and the <laughs> organ comes through with, you know, how great thou art. They finish it big and the, bah, the organ. And then I walk up in my robe. Hey, dad. <laughs> but that's who I am. I wouldn't want to do that in that setting. It wouldn't be appropriate. So religion makes us afraid. Christ's glory makes us bold. And when we embrace redemption, this is, so what, this is, this is the best part. When we embrace religion, we sing about what we want to be. When we embrace redemption, we sing about what we were before. This is what I was, and look what God has made me. 
See, religion points out our imperfections. This is, this is the best part. Christ fills, the gospel fills us with Christ's perfections. One tells you what you got to do. The other one tells you this is what you need and I'm giving it to you for free. So the questions I have for you today are these. When people walk into church here at Grace Life, into this comedy club with a covered bar, <laughs> do they feel the need for a veil between them and the glory we display? It's a serious question. Are we displaying the type of glory that makes people not be comfortable with who they are? What type of glory do we display? Is it the glory of separation or the glory of reconciliation? Is our religious vibe intimidating? Is it frightening? The way we engage in modern worship, that's kind of what we do here. The way we engage in modern worship, is it communicating, well, you've got a long way to go, partner. Are we so produced, so structured, so programmed, so clean and sharp that they feel inadequate when they walk in? I hope not. Or are we organic? Are we real? Are we gracious so people feel free to come into the open arms of the gospel no matter how they are? Do they feel bold enough to be vulnerable? Can they come as they are? As people who are far off, desperately desiring to be near to God? First, first John chapter 4, 17 and 19, by this... By, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Wow. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love, why? Because we fulfill the religious requirement to be so. Is that what it says? No, we love because he first loved us. See, there is this amazing freedom once we are free from religious expectations and free to celebrate what God has made us into. The glory that we once had to cover ourselves from, we become that actual glory through the work of Christ. The glory that intimidated us, condemned us, is the glory that now venerates us and says, you are children of God. You've been made in the image of Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. You've been forgiven. You have been transformed. You are our letters of recommendation. What God has done in your heart proves that we have authority. Not some religious edict, some verdict from a city far away that has nothing to do with you, that has no idea where you'll be on Monday, I know where you'll be on Monday. They don't. Because the glory of religion is the power to impress, the power to judge, the power to scare or intimidate, and the power to condemn. The glory of the gospel is the power to forgive, to transform, and to glorify, and to reconcile. Today, I hope that no longer will you have to put on a silly veil when you feel religion is near. 
with boldness, you can be vulnerable and say, I am a wretched sinner saved and transformed by the gospel that Paul preached. Heavenly Dad, we're so thankful that we are not subject to religion. We're so thankful we're not subject to a list of demands put on us by men. I'm also thankful that you have ended the law of the covenant, that we don't have to be judged by that anymore. I'm so glad that glory is now gone. And we have embraced a new glory, an unveiled glory, a transformative glory, a glory that gives us the ability to say, you want to know if the gospel is true? Look at my life. Look at what I was and what I am now, and it had nothing to do with me. Because God first loved me, even when I didn't want to have anything to do with him.